repetition and practice, as well as an in-depth knowledge are necessary to pull off a technique flawlessly, both in class and on the street. In today's episode, we focus on three techniques to give you a level of understanding that only a master can deliver. From the dojo to the octagon, we bring you the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast! Welcome to another edition of the Jiu-Jitsu Master Podcast. This is your co-host Sri Pendikala, and with me is co-host Shihan Russell St. Hilaire, 7th degree black belt of Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. How are you doing today, Shihan? I am doing great, Sri. I'm excited about what we're going to talk about today. Right, and that is a technical podcast. So far, we've been talking about history and philosophy and things that are happening around the dojo, and and we did talk about some technical aspects. We've done a little bit of polling in the dojo, and we've found there were some techniques that people really are interested in knowing a lot more about, and we're hoping that we can get into those details, maybe talk about some history and whatever else you know about and really want to pick your brain about that, Shihan, so our listeners can really understand all the aspects of the techniques that we are practicing. Yeah, that sounds great. We don't talk about techniques enough on the podcast, so this will be a, a perfect one to start with, and then I'm sure we'll do some uh, in the future. Great. So the first one is Sankaku Jime. Okay, great. So Sankaku Jime being a triangle choke. Everybody knows it as triangle choke. And for those of you who don't speak Japanese, san means three and kaku is corner. Shime or jime is a choke, so triangle choke. Interesting uh, technique because it's very, very popular in the grappling world and in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and judo and jiu-jitsu. And it's a, it's a great technique, but a lot of people you know, sometimes struggle with it and don't understand exactly how it works. So we can walk through that a little bit. Where would you like me to start? Want me to start with a little bit of history? Yes, that would be great, Shihan. Whatever you know about the technique, perhaps where it even originated, if if that's something you know about. Sure, sure. So I'm gonna really spend most of my time talking about you know Japanese uh, jujitsu and and that origin. I am very very sure that the concepts be- between you know behind triangle choke, which is choking somebody with your legs essentially locked up around their neck, or their neck and shoulder have been around forever. I'm I'm sure they were used you know, all the way back to Greece and Egypt or, or, or whatever. But I'm going to just address, you know, the Japanese uh, history of it. Early on, there are records of techniques that sort of look and feel like what we consider to be Sankaku Jime. They were, you know, pretty profuse. It wasn't just the one that everybody knows, right, which is where you put your leg around, you know, the person's uh, neck and shoulder, and then you move their arm to the side, and then you lock down you know, your leg with your other leg, and then you pull your head, the head down onto the arm and you choke them out, right? That, that was sort of the, the basic version of it, but there are many, many other versions that have been used for a very, very long time. One of the versions that's used actually more than the Sankaku Jimmy that we know, believe it or not, is a triangle choke around the neck and an, and an arm bar and a jujigatami. That's probably one of the oldest versions of of this technique. And the reason why that's one of the oldest versions is, remember, there was nobody on the battlefield that was pulling guard and doing an arm bar, right? For no reason, right? That that just did not happen. So essentially, you know, this person was fighting against an armed person, probably somebody that had a tanto, a knife in their hand, and they had been taken to the ground and they're protecting themselves with some, some version of a guard or an open guard, and they need to break that arm, right? They need to break that arm so that person can't stab them. 
as you know, if you've done a Jujikatami before from like a guard type position, you can get into it pretty quick, but you can also get crushed and stacked pretty quick. So one of the ways that they stopped doing this was to have that triangle choke type position with their legs so that they could maintain distance, so they could keep their torso away while breaking the arm across their chest. And, and of course, you remember, well, I think we've talked about this before, a jujikatami done in the combat style isn't done directly up against the elbow with the hand you know, in the center of your chest. It's done more against the side of the elbow with the arm moving uh, like away from your neck, which would make a lot of sense if you think about it, the person's got a tanto or a knife or something in their hand. So that's one of the earliest versions of this. But of course, you know, it's 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 easy to understand how when you lock up your legs, you're creating pressure against the the person's neck, whether or not you have the arm in there or you're just against their neck. And Sankaku Jimmy was done from all kinds of angles, right? It was done from the, the guard position. It was done from the back position. It's done from several different side type positions. What was often also added to that was, you know, one of the hand, one of your hands was in in some sort of uh, choking position. So if you can imagine doing like a gyaku jujujimi where you have your your right hand reversed, so your palm is up in that person's right lapel, and then you put them in a triangle position and you're pressing against your own hand against their neck. There are a lot of sankaku type chokes that are like that. If you were a practitioner of Kosen Judo or early jujitsu styles like Tenshin Shinoru or Kitoru, you would have seen those type of triangle type chokes early on. But over time, you know, the one that you can do simplest, easiest, can be taught to pretty much anybody without getting into too much technical jargon is the one that's going to catch on. And that's the one I think that everybody knows is, hey, you know, it's the triangle choke. That's sort of the the history of that. There have been some proponents of of that like Joan Oda from early Kosen Judo that was really known for doing triangle choke from like every position in the world there's actually some really really early videos of him from like I don't know like the 20s or something or 30s of doing like 20 different variations of of Sankaku Jimmy so it's a very well known and very complex technique when you know all of the variations of it you mentioned earlier about doing that with an arm bar. Can you talk a little bit more about that particular variation? Sure. Um, there, there's two variations uh, from the guard position. Let's let's just talk about that from that position. Uh, one of them is sort of that standard Jujikatami position, right, where you have the arm extended, thumb towards the ceiling. You're going to be putting pressure against the elbow with your torso. But instead of having you know, your legs around the side of your opponent's torso, they're actually in the triangle position. So you've got them locked into that triangle position, but you don't push the arm across in order to do the choke. You actually pull the arm down a, a little bit to the side of your chest. So as an example, if I have my right leg over your neck, that probably means I have your right arm in across my chest. So instead of bringing uh, that to the center of my chest, I would actually bring it a little bit to my left and then arch my body upwards, pressing against the elbow and maintaining your distance with my triangle choke. So there's that version. And then the other version, which I see quite often, is you would have your opponents, your uke's right arm tucked underneath your armpit and you almost have it in, uh, you know, like a figure four. You don't necessarily have to close your figure four, but his arm is under your armpit. Your left arm is, you know, under his arm, under his elbow. 
Um, maybe you can even do like a gable grip with your hands and then you've triangled the neck. And again, you sort of arch upwards, triangling very hard with your legs. And also his arm is caught under your armpit and it's going to snap his elbow pretty quick. So those are, are two that, that work really well. Uh, that second one that I just mentioned with the arm under your armpit also works well from the back position. So if you're sitting behind somebody doing a triangle on their neck, um, instead of just sort of pulling that arm back against his neck for the choke, you can tuck that under your, uh, under your armpit, under your left armpit. And, and from, even from the back, you can sort of arch, break the arm and do the triangle choke simultaneously. And those, those are sort of three versions of triangles you would have seen a lot, a, a long time ago. Um, as opposed to just the the straight up you know shime waza the constriction of the of the veins and arteries to the brain that you see today. Is that primarily because the was uh, wielding a weapon? I think so. I, I think early on the concern was much more with stopping yourself from being cut or stabbed. When you're fighting somebody that doesn't have a weapon, you can make other kinds of choices, right? So an un- unarmed person, attacker or competitor. Uh, you know, you, you don't have to be concerned with those things, right? They're not going to be hitting you. They're not going to be stabbing you. So then, you know, what, what's happening with their hand doesn't become extremely relevant. It's much more important to, uh, stop them from being able to grapple with you and, and therefore, you know, doing the blood type choke is what became more important. So when we're executing this in a self-defense situation, or even just during rolling normal Nawaza, should we have in the back of our minds that this technique is really meant for a weapon or is it is it now or evolved enough to the choke itself is the ultimate end game i i think um it's going to go two ways right the person uh you know you end up in a guard position for whatever reason you're down because you were being dominated by a larger person or things were out of control and you had to regain control so now you're in your guard position um you know if they start punching you in the face you're going to know pretty immediately that they're not stabbing you, right? They, they don't have a knife in their hand. So then what's going to be, you know, really important is to, you know, move that arm that's punching you to the side so they're not punching you anymore, bringing their torso closer to you so that they don't have that distance to hit you, and then using that triangle choke to choke them unconscious. I think that would be, um, you know, a, a good technique. I, I think pretty much right away, if you're down on the ground and somebody pulls a knife, um, you're going to know right away that they're coming at you with a knife. And then you still can assume the same types of position, but you're going to very quickly probably, you know, imagine yourself in a guard position. The person's like giving you the ice pick knife to the chest or, you know, that sort of thing. You're going to reach up with both your hands and you're going to grab that arm because you're going to do everything in your power to stop them from stabbing you. Uh, once you've got that arm, you know, then you can, of course, you know, make your body motions to uh, move to the side, throw the leg over, you know, their head, lock it down with the other. And now you've got them in a good triangle, but you're really going to be concerned with breaking that arm across, you know, across your torso. So I think that's what's going to happen if you find yourself in an armed situation. Okay, so we talked about the history um, mm-hmm. and a few scenarios around you know, where it came from and, and how it's kind of evolved, but can you now deconstruct the technique step-by-step step the way you, we are taught in the dojo? And then from there, I'd like to maybe ask you how it can be, be more effective if we do certain things. And, and then also from an uke standpoint, if you're having this done on you, how we can prevent it. 
Sure. Okay. So I'm going to address three entrances into the technique from guard, because that's the one you're going to do most often for a triangle until you're at a very advanced level when you start learning it from the back and the side. Um, and so there's three entrances that you should know and you should be very good at. Uh, the first one, and probably the most important one, because it teaches the why why do I do triangle choke? What is what is that moment where I realize that there is suki, right? That opening, the the opening that that person gave you in order to do a technique, and that is when they put one of their arms under your leg, and the other arm is on your torso. So they have one arm inside your guard and one arm outside your guard. Once that happens, that should be the signal to uh, do a triangle choke. So that that gives you that immediate, you know. Um, shock to the brain that says, hey, that's it. That's the in and out position. I go for the triangle. So as soon as you realize that happens, uh, and let's, I'm just going to pick an arm. It obviously can happen on either side. If they put the uh, their left arm underneath your right leg as if to pass the guard, um, you are going to put your left foot on their hip. You're going to get that leg that they're trying to sort of push over your torso, you're going to sort of allow that motion to happen somewhat, but you're going to control it and you're going to get it over their neck. You have to hip up a little bit. You have to get your hips off the ground and you also have to get sort of your upper shoulders and head off the ground so that you present the smallest amount of friction on the ground. It allows you to move from side to side. It's the same as when you're doing a jujikatami from guard or an arm bar from guard. So my, my leg goes over the top. That's the first move. The second move is to pull their other arm, which would be their right arm, across your torso to your right side. That's incredibly important because that's the other half of the choke. So when you put your right leg over their neck, that's the first half of the choke, their arm being pulled across their body and hopefully against their neck and underneath their chin is going to create the second part of that choke. Everything else is just locking it into place, but those are the two pieces of the choke. Now, I could get into excruciating detail, like exactly which little portion of your leg, you know, two and a half, three inches, you know, above your knee goes against the carotid artery. I mean, you can really get into excruciating detail. But what's most important is to know that the right leg is one half of the choke. Their arm, their right arm is the other half of the choke. Once that's pulled in, you're about 85 to 90% there if you're doing this correctly. Okay. Now I'm going to retain their arm with my right hand. It's going to be pulled across their torso very tightly. Now I'm going to reach up with my left hand and I'm going to grab my shin. I'm going to grab the shin of my right foot, which is across his neck now. And this is a very, very important position because right at this point, now they no longer can escape. Before you reach up and grab, they can move their body around your triangle choke, right? They can come out that side because there's nothing really blocking that, them from doing that. But once I reach up and I grab my shin, my lower shin, then they're locked in. It should be pressed right against the side of their neck, your arm, and it's grabbing your shin and pulling it nice and tight. I'm doing sort of a push-pull, right? I'm, I'm, I'm pulling on his arm like I'm pulling on a bow and arrow, right? I'm pulling that across his, his chin and across his neck, and I'm pulling down a little bit on my shin, so now I've got it nice and tight. And then I can put my left leg over my right ankle just to lock it all in. Then the last part, and this is definitely a – a point of contention with a lot of people, but I've got, you know, decades and decades of experience with this. And I can tell you 
If you do this next part right, you will get the choke immediately. And that is keep them low to your torso. Do not arch up, push them away in, in any way. Try to keep them very low to your torso and squeeze your knees together. So I'm squeezing my right knee against his neck and I'm squeezing my left knee against his shoulder and upper tricep to crush the neck from the sides. That's what's going to make that choke work. If you don't do that 100% correctly, then you can move on to pulling his head down against his arm with both of your hands, or you can reach up around his head and your right knee and cup your hands and squeeze together. But all you are essentially doing is you are assisting your legs because you maybe didn't get your legs 100% right. Sankaku Jimmy can be done entirely with the legs without pulling the head down. My, you know, my um, guidance to people who are practicing this technique is to don't just depend on pulling the head down or just depend on locking your knees so you can get the tap out in competition, right? Get really good at being able to choke them unconscious with your legs alone. And then if you mess something up or if something changes, you can add in that little bit of aid to make sure that you get that. But when you add in that aid, you are giving up something else, right? You are giving up the use of your arms. So, you know, you've got to kind of give or take um, and, and understand what's going on around you before you want to give up the use of your arms in order to complete that choke. So hopefully that describes, you know, a good uh, triangle choke. Now, the, en the entrance that I mentioned was where they put their arm under your leg and they were going to do a, a guard pass. The second one that you really want to know about, which I think is a, a very, very important version, is... They're in your guard. You grab onto both of their arms, right? If they're wearing clothes or a jacket, you can grab their sleeves or you can just grab onto their wrists and retain their wrists at your chest level. And then you are going to push away with your feet on their hips. And the reason why that is such an important position is, first of all, that specific move doesn't have anything to do with triangle. What that's doing is that is moving their body away from you and controlling their hands so that they don't kind of do the ground and pound, right? They're not going to get up on their feet or they're not going to start, you know, punching you or they're not going to reach out with their hands and start choking your neck. So that's a very defensive position. And then what you can do is you can very quickly, uh, as an example, you can do this on right or left side, but I'm going to use the right side. You can very quickly release your right foot from their hip, drop their arm, their left arm between your legs, pull them back in towards you and you won't have to pull too hard because they wanted to be up pounding you in the face to start with. They actually want to be up there. So you're just giving them a little bit of resistance. You're quickly changing your position and then you're allowing them to come back towards you. But as they come back towards you, they're coming right into the triangle. And it's the same triangle I described before. So that's a very, very quick and very self-defense oriented entrance. And then the last one's a little bit more game you know, gamemanship when you're doing Neiwaza. And that is where, you know, they're doing the correct thing in your guard where they have their their um, hands sort of on your lower abdomen. Their arms are sort of pinning your legs so you can't move, you know, into their armpits. And that's where I'm going to reach out and I'm going to use my right hand as an example and grab their left wrist. And then I'm going to stuff that hand back between my legs very quickly and then throw my right leg over the neck and then complete the triangle as, uh, as I had mentioned before. So knowing those three versions from the guard, I think are going to cover, you know, the most important ones from an unarmed self-defense type of situation.
Okay, great. I think it's really important to hear from you what uh, an ideal, the best way to, to get into the technique and, and what you're expecting and from your experience. So thank you for uh, giving us all that. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite techniques. <laughs> and and just really to round out this conversation, I think you've already addressed some of the common misconceptions and, and questions that people have, like with respect to, you know, why, why do some people pull the head down and uh, when you're getting put the uh, legs on pretty tight or if not. <laughs> so at this point now, from uh, if you could flip the, the perspective to the uh, okay, um, or the person who's getting it done on them, mm-hmm. how do you typically escape from it when maybe some typical scenarios and, and what the best way to do that? Sure. So there are many, many ways to escape, but I would think that the first one I'm going to talk about is going to be the one that I'm going to say needs to be your go-to because it, it works extremely, extremely well. Uh, and so I'm going to describe that in detail. The, the second one, I'm just going to mention, uh, you'll always hear people say posture up, right? So that means to sit down low on your heels, get your back very straight. In other words, you know, don't let the person be able to pull you down low enough to get a good, a good triangle. That's okay, but it's very focused on grappling matches. Um, you know, if you're in a fight, and you did something to make me do a triangle and I throw my triangle on, I'm probably going to get you. Okay. Uh, if I'm just kind of loosely going at it offensively, not defensively, and you notice me going offensively, you can posture up and now I'm not going to really be able to get my triangle. But that lasts one second because the second I realize you're posturing up, I'm no longer reacting to the thing that I was before that I was going to do triangle for. So I'm immediately just going to stop doing it. And that doesn't mean that I failed at my triangle. It doesn't have anything to do with it. It just means that the situation changed. So now I'm going to move on to a different technique that's appropriate for your, your posture. So I'd rather go back to how do I escape a well put on triangle? Because that's, that's the ones that are tough to get out of. And the ones that have worked best for me, the one that, that has worked best for me is where I move around the leg that is over my neck. And there are a couple things that you have to do in order to do that very successfully. So I'm going to imagine right now that you have your right leg over my neck and you're doing a triangle. So that means my my right arm is the one that's sort of in and it's going to be choking against the side of my neck. Now, I may be thinking to myself boy, I am in danger of a triangle at this point. But what I really need to realize in my head is that I am 40% in danger of getting a triangle. I am 60% in danger of getting an arm bar. And most people don't think about it that way. So I really want to say that again. You are in much more danger of an arm bar in the triangle position than you are of the triangle itself. So the very first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to reach around this person's right leg with my left hand and I'm going to come underneath the forearm of my right arm. Okay. And then I'm going to essentially figure four his right leg. So I'm going to cross my hands. I'm going to figure four his leg and I'm going to hug it against my torso. So I, now I have done two things. Number one, I have protected my right arm from getting armbarred because I have put something in the way of the fulcrum. Now they can no longer straighten my arm out for that armbar. So that's very, very important. The second thing is, as I've now brought the leg 
very, very close to me and it's now become part of my body. So once that is done, I want to think about that leg that's over my neck, especially the thigh portion as being like a pole that I'm going to circularly move around. So I'm going to hug that leg very, very tight to my torso and I'm going to start moving around to my left holding that leg very hard to my torso. I don't want it to slip inside the circle. I want it to be locked to my torso. So I'm going to move the rest of my body, which is completely free at that moment, around clockwise, around that leg. And what that is going to start doing is it's going to take their lower leg, right, everything from the knee down to the foot, and it's going to start bending it outwards, sort of in the way that your lower leg does not like to go. Right. If you think of somebody that sits in the sort of the the Indian uh, type position with the cross leg position, um, leg bends that way very easily. But turn your leg to the outside and sit down that way. And unless you happen to be one of those incredibly flexible people, it's a little bit uncomfortable. It's almost like doing a, an udigarami on the leg. So as I turn more and more, that leg starts to be turn outwards and become very uncomfortable it will pop out of the leg that had it secured. And now I'll be able to move around that thigh with a lot of pressure on that leg and on that person and escape that triangle. So that is the escape that I use all the time. And I, and I do it very, very successfully. I also will mention in a fight fight, if somebody gets me in a triangle and I know that I'm stronger than them. Now this is not going to happen that often, but you know, sometimes it's a person that's about your size and maybe you feel like you're, you're stronger than them or, you know, your, uh, adrenaline is kicking in. You can, you can grab them by basically the shirt or the jacket and stand up and then slam them down on the concrete as hard as you can, uh, and knock them unconscious. It doesn't work on the mats that well. It does work. Uh, but, on, on concrete, it works really, really well. So if you feel like you're stronger and you can do that, I would suggest that. Um, I do want to make a note for all the students on there, though. We don't allow you to do that in class because it's very dangerous. You can give somebody whiplash or you can, you know, give them, uh, you know, brain damage by bouncing their brain around in their skull. So even though we acknowledge that that's a great self-defense uh, escape, we, we try not to do that in class because it's uh, very dangerous. Do we have time for uh, another technique? Sure, absolutely. Okay, maybe we could switch gears a little bit to a Nagewaza technique. This one comes from a white belt who's interested in learning more about Urunagi. Ah, Urunagi. That's an interesting technique, and mainly because of the name. So let me just address that really quick. If you are a judoka, if you practice judo, the Urunagi that you practice is a different technique than the urinagi that is practiced in non-judo influenced jujitsu. So I just want to make sure you know that the the urinagi that is practiced in judo would be recognized by most untrained people, I guess you would say, as a suplex where the person is sort of you are standing behind them, you wrap them around the waist uh, you are going to arch backwards like you would in, in uh, professional wrestling or regular wrestling, and you're going to throw them backwards onto their uh, upper shoulders um, or, or onto their head. Now, I will say in judo, it's actually a little more complex. There's a specific angle to that. There's a specific timing that you're doing that, and you're not necessarily landing them on their head. But that that is the urinagi that you're going to practice if you're in judo. Now, if you're a non-judo-influenced jiu-jitsu, meaning you don't have a judo root to your jiu-jitsu, then your urinagi is going to be different. And it is going to look somewhat like, 
a judo technique called taniyatosh, but it's going to be behind the person instead of sort of to the side. In other words, I'm going to be directly behind the person. I'm going to have them around the waist with my arms holding in a very tight grip. As one example, I'm doing it on, on my left side. My right foot is aligned with their right foot on the outside. I extend my left leg past their left leg very close to the ground. And as I sit down, I drag their body backwards to the ground and then their momentum will pull me over into a mount position as, as they land. And this technique is typically done as a counter to someone trying to hip throw you. So when they position themselves for whatever hip throw in front of you, they've automatically positioned you behind them, right? Because that's, that's where you have to be in order to be thrown. And so you can take advantage very quickly of, of just grabbing onto them and just extending your left leg, sitting down and, and throwing them over that. Uh, left leg to the ground. So it's not as a big of a, you know, through the air kind of throw as it is in judo. It's a little more subtle, certainly much easier to do. And it's, it's incredibly effective to be able to get behind somebody, you know, sit down with your leg extended so that when they start staggering backwards, because you're pulling them, that they trip essentially over your leg and you allows you get into a very dominant uh, mount type of position and set you up for other things like jujigatami or, or various chokes. On the surface, it sounds pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. And when we see it, it looks actually pretty easy. But when we're executing it, it's, it's a whole different story. So can you talk a little bit about w- what the pitfalls are on, on doing this technique and how it's typically done incorrectly and how we can correct those? Sure. So if you are, um, I would say, relatively the same size as the person you're doing it against, the mistake that I always see is people go behind the person and then they use their arms to try to, and, and, and dynamic motion, they try to twist that person or pull that person with their arms down to the ground. And that is actually the move that the, your opponent can resist the most. So it's nothing about pulling them backward or using strength or twisting in order to throw them down. What it is about is securing them around the lower abdomen just above their hips and using your body weight and them being attached very hard to your body to pull down against their pelvis, right, which is going to cause their hip joint and their upper legs to bend, and then they'll fall backwards. Otherwise, it's really just going to be a game of strength. Now, if the person is significantly larger than you, right, I would say 30, 40 pounds larger than you, what you need to make sure that you do is when you come around behind, push them forward. And the reason that you're pushing them forward, as long as you're sure that they're untrained, let me really put that in in giant capital letters, is as soon as you take one step forward, they're going to resist, right? Because everything you do, they just want to do the opposite of because they're fighting you. So as soon as you push them one step forward, they stop and they they don't their their weight goes backwards, and then it's very easy to throw them backwards. You don't want to do this against a trained person because if I'm pushing them forward, they're just going to be like, awesome, here's that forward momentum I need to do Uchimata or any other kind of throw, right, that they that they want to do. Another mistake that I see people make all the time, and it's a dangerous mistake, mistake but not from a self-defense standpoint, it's just dangerous like in class, is they don't go all the way behind the person in order to do Uranagi. They get about halfway around. So in other words, their right foot is still kind of in front of the person and their left foot is still trying to do the right thing. But the center of their body is more to the side of the person than directly behind the person. And then they try to throw them down. 
typically you fail at doing it. You can't do it. But if you're really strong and you start doing it, what it ends up doing is putting a lot of pressure against the side of your uke's knee and you can really damage them. You can, you can really damage their knee just with your whole body sort of, you know, pushing their knee in a direction it doesn't go. But it really just means you don't know how to execute that technique correctly. So I'm constantly telling students you have to go all the way around behind the person so that your center is aligned almost with their center. It can be slightly off, but it should be aligned all the way with their center before you take them down. And depending on what kind of jujitsu school you're doing or how advanced you are, you may not do the part, the, the version where you just sort of come around behind the person and extend your left leg. You know, if I entered on their, on their right side, I'm going to use my left leg. I may do almost a full circle and walk all the way around behind them and like come out the other side and use my right leg to throw them down. And that's absolutely acceptable also for an Uranagi. One other common mistake that I've done personally and I've seen others doing is when we go all the way behind, at least we got that part right, so we're not off to the side, but we pull them down on top of us. How do we correct that? Why is that happening? Yeah, so what you have to do in order to stop that from happening is you have to make sure that your right leg, so not the leg that they're going to trip over, but that supporting leg, bends enough for you to almost sit down on your own heel, right? To almost sit your butt down on your own right heel, which allows that room to the left for, for them to fall over your left leg. Um, some people sort of, they sit down partway, but then I can see them, I can see them pushing with their legs and pulling with their arms. And the next thing you know, that person's sort of either laying half on you or, or completely on you. So make sure when, even though you start out, completely behind them, which is very safe to not get elbowed in the face or thrown with a Harai Goshi or an Uchimata, you want to sit your butt down towards your right heel when you extend your left leg, and that'll make sure they fall into the right spot. Thank you for that. You're welcome. And I know we dove right into the aspects of the technique. Why is it different from, if it's a, a jiu-jitsu uh, descended from judo versus what we have here? Well, I think simply because there was a technique, which I described before, that judo decided to call uranagi, which means rear throw. It's, it's just Japanese words meaning rear throw. That technique itself, although it has the same name, doesn't really isn't really performed the same way in judo as it does as it was in some of the older um, jujitsu styles. So course judo came from jiu-jitsu but it only came from a, a, a few schools it came from three different schools of, of jiu-jitsu so that technique may have come from one of those three schools or it may have developed within judo itself because you know judo was around called kano jitsu for many years before it really became a well-known sport where people were out there doing competitions and then realizing they needed to win competitions and develop variations to technique and stuff like that. So it simply just has the same name, but it's absolutely a different technique. Do we have time for any more? I have all the time in the world for you, Sri, <laughs> and all the students of Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu. I'm just trying to give you a, a brain dump. You know, we, we talk about these things sometime in passing in class, you know, and I'll start to go down this this road of like, hey, I'm going to give you the history of this technique. But then I realized, geez, you know, these guys probably need to practice and not sit here and listen to me chat. But hey, these podcasts are a perfect opportunity for me to just give you everything I know about about the subjects that you're most interested in. So, yeah, let's let's do another one. Front choke, wakigatami. OK, so let's talk about wakigatami to start with. Um, basically means an armpit lock. And it means that you've got the person's arm underneath 
your armpit from the side. Uh, you're holding onto their wrist with both hands. Their elbow is pointed towards the ceiling and you're putting upward pressure with your hands and downward pressure with your armpit or the inside of your of your arm, you know, near your bicep and tricep in order to cause a lot of pain on either the elbow or the shoulder. There are different variations uh, of that technique. They're all correct. And so that is the wakigatami. It can be done from many, many positions. Um, it can be done as weapon defenses. It can be done on the ground. You know, essentially, wakigatami and jujigatami and udegatami and anything where there's a straight arm and you're causing the elbow to go in the way it doesn't go in the opposite direction that it's comfortable, those are all the same concepts of a technique. It's just how you do them that lends themselves to the Japanese name. So wakigatami, essentially... Um, the elbow is going to be facing the ceiling and the arm is going to go underneath your armpit and you'll be pressing up on the hands with both of your hands, you know, in a good wrist grip and downwards uh, on their arm, either at the elbow or the shoulder with your armpit or the inside of your, of your uh, arm. So from a front choke, uh, the reason this is a, a good technique um, is the person who's attacking you has committed all four limbs. Right. So they're standing on their feet and they're choking you with two hands. So now they've got like no weapons left. They're, they're, they're totally committed. So it's pretty easy at that point for me to attack really any limb. I can attack legs or arms because they've, they're, they're all busy. So this is a nice, easy one. I'm going to reach up uh, and I'm just going to say I'm going to reach up towards my left, which would be grabbing my Uke's right arm. And I'm going to use my right hand closest to his hand and then my left hand right behind it. Nice tight grip on that wrist. I'm going to begin to rotate with my hands, his ulna and his radius bone around each other. I'm turning it clockwise. And then as that starts to happen, of course, it's going to engage uh, his upper arm, right? His humerus and then his shoulder. It's going to begin to bend him forward. And then I'm going to use the motion of my body, me stepping in front of him as that arm goes under my arm and into my armpit in order to control his whole body. So again, I start the motion with my arms, but of course I'm assuming this person's bigger and stronger. It's only going to move a couple inches before I get full resistance. Now I need to fight his arm strength with my entire body, not just my arms. And I will rotate. I will throw my left elbow over his arm so that his arm goes into my armpit. I will step directly in front of him in the emote type of stance. And then what I'm going to do is one of two things. I am either going to circle his arm slightly clockwise, bring his shoulder almost into my armpit. It's right behind my armpit and then lift his arm up very high, which will crank his shoulder. Or I will bring his arm about halfway underneath my arm. My left elbow is still a little bit in the air, kind of, you know, maybe two inches above his arm. And then I'm going to smash my left elbow down to the ground and then backwards towards my back a couple of inches and that will snap his elbow. Now this second description is one that was probably much more likely in an armed situation, right? If this person, uh, you had grabbed hold of their arm because they had a knife or you're disarming a sword or any other type of weapon, you really want to make sure they're not going to use that arm again, right? So I'm going to be much closer to snapping his elbow than I'm going to worry about an armpit lock, but the armpit uh, on the shoulder lock, I mean, the shoulder lock is really a nice restraining type of technique. You can kind of take somebody to the ground or really hold them tight 
while you give them another chance to make a better decision than they, they had when they were thinking about choking you. So both are correct. What's the distance between the UK and Tory when, when this is being executed, the proper distance? Yeah, so they're very close to you. They're right up against your body if you are working on their shoulder. And they are probably four or five inches away from you uh, if you are working on their elbow because you need to leave some, some airspace sort of between his elbow and the side of your body for his arm to actually travel through and, and break. Right up against you if it's shoulder and about four or five inches away if it's an elbow uh, technique. And are you grabbing the wrist or the forearm or the hand? You are definitely grabbing the wrist. So you want to have both of your hands right next to each other as tight as possible. That'll probably cover about seven or eight inches right from the base of their hand uh, you know, to the outside of your second hand. So it's going to be all of their wrist and probably just the very beginning of their, of their forearm will be where you're gripping. Are you? Uh, is any part of their hand being gripped as well? It should not be. It should not be in wakigatami. It should be on their arm because what you're really trying to do is rotate the ulna and radius bone around each other to the point where they can no longer go any further. And then that will turn um, the upper arm uh, in order to try to relieve that pressure. Once that's run out of play, then the shoulder will come into play to try to relieve that pressure. And then finally everything will be locked up and you'll be able to execute the break. Does it matter which hand grabs for on, on the inside uh, closest to the UK's hand? Yep, it should be. If, if you're grabbing his right hand, it should be your right hand that grabs closest to your body. Um, and you also want to come up from underneath. You don't want to reach over the top of somebody's arms, especially if they're bigger and taller. It's just you won't be able to do it very well. So just kind of come up from underneath, nice easy grab. Uh, and then you're going to you know, grab really hard and start to rotate those bones. Now, one thing I will say, um, you know, wakigatami is considered an aikijitsu technique, even though it appears in, in judo and other martial arts. Um, before I do usually any aikijitsu technique, unless, you know, uh, I don't ha have the time because I'm so surprised. So I always try to hit them in some way. So this one is perfect because their limbs are committed to kick them in the groin. Uh, that's certainly going to take their attention and their resistance off their arm when you do the technique. So as I'm sort of grabbing onto his arm, I'm going to kick them in the groin pretty hard, and then I'll start my technique. Yes, that's definitely important. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that always mo it motivates everyone. <laughs> um, it, it, do we also step one of our feet back when when the choke is coming forward? Um, you can. Uh, you you absolutely can. Um, I would tend to say that if you're doing a kote mawashi or a nikajo. Um, that's probably lends itself more to the stepping back. And the reason you're stepping back on that one is because once they get their hands on your neck really tight, it's hard to get a grip on the meat of their hand. It's just, it's really difficult at that point. Once they've got me in the neck, I'm probably going to use some kind of striking technique to, to get them off me. So that's really where, you know, you see it coming, you step back, they never quite get to your neck with one of their hands and then it's easy to do kodimawashi. Uh, this one, um, the, the wakigatami is more just, they've got you. Right. They could even have you pressed up against the wall uh, or whatever. And, you know, now you've got to deal with that very tight choke. 
Um, and that's why there's nothing trying to lift the choke off your neck. You're not trying to bat their arms off with like blocking upwards or downwards or whatever. You're simply taking the point that they really truly can't resist, which is a very small circular motion of their arm, right? It's just rotating their arm in place that'll allow you to sort of take over uh, that stronger person, especially once you kick them in the groin. <laughs> oh, very good. Yeah, I think that the reason I'm asking is because there is another technique with the uh, when the uke or an attacker is putting a, a gun at your sort of on your chest towards maybe a little bit off to to your shoulder and mm -hmm. shoving you backward, and and you can get a wakigatami from there. Absolutely. So the reason you turn there doesn't have much to do with the wakigatami. It's just the first rule of defense, self-defense against a gun, and that is to remove the target, right? Get out of the line of fire. So, you know, if you're doing a kotegayashi from the front or, you know, you're doing a riminagi from the back or wakigatami from the front, the very first thing you do is you blade your torso, right? You turn it so that it has the smallest exposure and the barrel of the gun now is faced past your your body right so if the gun goes off the bullet will not go through your body it'll go past your body and that's really why we do that that movement um, when we're doing wakigatami against a, a pistol thanks for the opportunity to be able to pick your brain and all these all these techniques like you said there's really not a lot of time the limited time we have during class to be able to have a conversation you'd be ending up taking the whole class to do that <laughs> i've probably done that a few times but hey <laughs> give us all a break but you know then <laughs> that's right the sweat all dries up and then you know what are we left with <laughs> so this is our first time doing a technical type of podcast and answers one of my questions like how much can we talk about for for a technique you could probably you know squeeze Six to ten techniques into a, a single podcast, right? Well, <laughs> I, I think we know the answer to that. Yeah, probably about three if we're going to get into enough detail. Right. Yeah, but this was great because, you know, I think it gives people the opportunity outside of class and outside of somebody saying, hey, put your foot here, put your hand there, to sort of just sit and listen while they're relaxed and they're listening to somebody talk about stuff that they, they sort of already know about, but they might have had a question. They really want to straighten things out in their mind. So, you know, it's good for me to be able to talk sort of in detail about each step on, on each one of these techniques. And, you know, I also want to say that I'm, I'm talking from uh, a single point of view. There are ways to do, as an example, you know, a wakigatami or a triangle choke or whatever in other martial arts, right? I'm sure in Hapkido they probably do similar things. Uh, there's probably some, not triangle, but, you know, wakigatami in, in aikijutsu. Judo probably does triangle chokes in certain ways. Maybe Brazilian jiu-jitsu does it in, in certain ways, whatever. I'm coming from the standpoint of, you know, having studied several jiu-jitsu styles, self-defense-focused jiu-jitsu styles, which is, as you know, is my main focus and my main concern. I'm certainly not saying there aren't other ways to do this technique, but if you're a Kobukai Jiu-Jitsu student, this is the important things that you need to know about this technique. And if you're a student of some other school, maybe it just gives you some insight into things that you're already doing, but maybe maybe somebody outside of your school has now explained it in a slightly different way that'll give you a different insight into how you're, you're doing your technique. So, so hopefully this has been helpful. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Shihan. Have a great uh, rest of the evening. Thank you very much, Sri. Looking forward to talking to you again.